When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 289 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and with me today is Emil Evanesian. While Barcelona might have one man out of a job, Emil, I always rely on you on that day after I, I've gone to, it was a pretty dark place, so I'm going to need your help to try to get me out of that well. I think I can, I think I can mine a, a, a couple of, couple of relative positives. Yeah, we were talking right before we started recording, just to make sure that Emil and I were not completely 100% on the same page on certain things. But yeah, tactics-wise, I'll get to that in a second. But first, we're going to start with what almost the opposite of what I did last week. This is not a response to the overwhelming negativity of the hashtag coming out, of this belief that the manager wasn't good enough. I am going to double down here on the second show of the week that against Bayern Munich, Ronald Koeman tactically did what he had to do to hopefully get a result. I, I double down with the fact that I think that playing that 5-3-2, playing the 3-5-2 in the formation, the 11 he chose made sense on paper. It made sense based on what Byron, that everybody in the world knows that Byron is going to do. They are just mm-hmm. an overwhelming force that overwhelms everybody they play, whether it's Bundesliga, whether it's Barcelona, they are deep. They have 17 players that Julian Nagelsmann trusts. And I think that result goes the way no matter what Kuman did, but I think that the tactics he chose for were absolutely right. However, against Granada yesterday, he got it so irrevocably wrong that he took, to me, he took his job status from here are all the excuses that we can lay out on paper mm-hmm. to even those can't count if you don't have a manager 
that can do the base minimum and tactically overwhelm at home a team that had not won in Liga and was looking in bigger shambles than you. Yeah. No, it's absolutely true. Because I mean, I think the the Bayern thing was, I remember watching the game and even kind of during the first half, I wasn't under the impression, I wasn't feeling overwhelmingly confident that Barca were going to win or even necessarily get a result. But the first half of that game, it felt very competitive. Barca were attacking. I mean, it was very back and forth. So someone was going to concede at some point. It was a wonder that that no one did. And it, you know, kind of the, the floodgates didn't open in the in the first half of that game. But I felt like Barca were standing, you know, boxing metaphors, like they were standing in the middle of the ring and they were trading blows. They weren't they weren't kind of covering up and just trying to mitigate damage. They were actively trying to make some things happen and they created some opportunities. They created some openings, whether it was the finishing wasn't there or a final ball wasn't there, but they were making positive movements. There was some of that yesterday as well, but I mean, the, the level of convert, the level of competition that that's on the other side is so vastly different. I mean, that felt if that had been Bayern Munich yesterday, we might have we might have been able to take some positives from it and find some find some comfort in some of the things that happened. But but it wasn't. I mean, it was Granada. It was you know a side that was like you said in in a shambles. They had what two draws and two losses in league play this year, and they didn't look like a team that was primed to to pull a major upset. Like they didn't pull. They didn't look like a team that was ready to walk into Camp Nou and and take points. And yeah, so in that sense, it was very discouraging. Yeah, I feel like I'm breaking two of my uh, held rules or coveted rules here on the podcast where I don't want to be overreactive to just one result. However, this is a culmination, this being playing a 4-3-3 at home against a team like Granada, you know, by breaking two of my rules, Mm -hmm. one, am I being unfair to the manager who just earlier in the week, I said, had had lost Messi and Griezmann right before the season started, does not have the financial backing of anybody, is a club legend that has come to save the club when, you know, he doesn't even have 12 players he can trust. He barely has five players that I would put in a starting lineup for an ideal FC Barcelona. So, I mean, how could you indict him too much based on that? That said, I still look at the squad list against Granada. I still look at Barcelona's 11 and I look at the 11 for Granada. And my other rule that I try not to break is I always try to give credit, especially last year when Barca failed to get that result against Cadiz. It was one of the big ones where I felt like everybody else was a little meaner to Kuman and a little meaner to the team than I was because I thought Cadiz had a really good game plan. Granada and Robert Moreno did not impress me in any way. The talent on the field was far less than that of Barcelona. And other than getting that goal in the first minute and a half, which was simply because Des was pushed too far forward and he and Eric mm-hmm. Garcia did not have their spacing right. Darwin Machis gets down that sideline. Uh, Escadero with a simple, simple, I mean, we're talking secondary school overlapping run and the cross of the yep. far post. That is a simple goal where there's a plenty of players for Barcelona to, to blame because they hadn't woken up in the match yet. And yep. the, the yeah, it was just a fundamental that Robert Moreno thought first... he could exploit was immediately exploited. The goal was immediately scored. And then... They basically played that being Granada, a back six. So I was going to do the Kuman job and then the tactics. Let's switch that up. I'm too fired up. We're going to do the tactics first because, yeah, it was six at the back basically for Granada for the rest of that game. And they defended for their lives for then 95 minutes. And, yeah. and Granada did not do anything tactically. Unlike Cadiz, again, who were changing what they were doing. They were reacting to what Barcelona were doing last year. Granada were not reacting to anything. They just said, hey, 
use your wings. We're going to shut down everything through the middle. We're going to put six at the back as close to our goal as possible. And you will not break us down. We are going to clear every one of your 54 crosses. And they've cleared, they cleared, let me get it right, 14 of the 54 in the game. That's the one stat that's really circulating. And it's an indictment of the way the Barca were playing. And then 23 crosses in the first half, only five of those were completed. So it's not like they were they were better in the first half. They were worse in the first half and mm-hmm. figured it out, if you will, in the second half where they went nine of 31 in the second half. So actually that's a worse margin. Yeah. Not that my math is too great, but yeah. So tactically to get outclassed by Granada, I feel like I'm breaking b- both my rules, but yeah, uh, Granada were a team that should have lost that game at the Camp Nou yesterday and Barcelona's fail- failure to do so. Cause even with a one, one draw, yeah, it's that is it's still an indictment of basically every player but Ronald Araujo and a little bit of Gabi. And other than that, that that's all yeah, you can really hang your hat on because Ronald Araujo had he had as many shots on target as all of his other teammates. Yeah, because of Barca's I mean, twelve was, corners. Yeah, he was awesome. I mean, I think going taking a step back, the the point that you were making about Granada, this was one of those games where the the lesser team was effectively spotted a goal. I mean, it was no one even had a sweat yet. And and they were up a goal. And I think they almost even played as though they were kind of plus one. They almost played like they were playing with a point spread in that we're going to make it hard for you. We're just going to we're going to muddy the box. We're going to make it hard for you. And we're not even going to try to attack. We're just going to try to frustrate you at every turn. Because uh, honestly, a one one draw away to Barcelona is a phenomenal result for for Granada, the fact that they they'll only be disappointed because the the equalizer came came so close to the end that you can kind of start tasting the full three points and and then you know you kind of get clipped at the end. But I think this was the objective. It was I don't know that they wouldn't have done the same thing at nil nil and you know at sixty minutes if it had still been nil nil, just put yet more people in the box and just. Pack the area with as many people as you can. Yeah, they weren't trying for a for a second. It was either going to be a one nil victory or ideally a one all draw. But it wasn't really going to end in any other way. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the one thing that I will say, uh, yeah. So uh, Araujo was fantastic. I he was he was outstanding. I thought Memphis looked good too. The shots didn't find the target. He wasn't dominating the game as such. But he was around the ball and finding the ball. And, you know, at least um, I know the shots weren't, you know, shots on target are kind of a, can be a deceptive stat and things like that. But he had a lot of shots and attempts and attacks that had promise. And on another day, he gets a goal or two out of those. And so I think at the very least, he was, he was fighting in a way that I didn't feel like I saw from and I'm not talking necessarily the effort part, but he was able to make things happen in a way that that the that the other Barca players simply weren't for, for much of the game until, until Araujo came on. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol or Piquet and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. I was happy with Memphis at times with his first touch. He had mm-hmm. a few runs in behind. Katina tried to lead him once. Busquets mm-hmm. tried to lead him, I think, two or three times. And then there were other times in his first touch would completely let him, let him down. I feel like his yeah. first touch was actually better with the higher difficulty receptions, if you will, when it was up Mm. over the top, where when he would drop in deep, that's where his first touch actually suffered a bit when he was actually Mm. trying to hold the ball up. And I'd like to have to look back on film and and see if for Lyon and the Dutch national team, if he, because we we do have him with his broad shoulders, we get the sense that he can hold the ball up well, Mm. but I'd love to see, you know, with a, a larger sample size, if he really is that successful at getting a first touch and holding the ball up, you know, with great success, as opposed mm. to doing all the things that he could do, having that just be one element of his game, as well yeah. as picking the ball up wide on the wing, like we know he can do, or running in behind, like we know he can do. But with Barcelona fans and Kool-Aids for now going on 10 years or 15 years, this concept that teams are going to, you know, sit off Barcelona and uh, uh, defend for the whole 90 minutes, especially at the camp, no, when they yeah. teams just let them have the ball and just yeah, try to frustrate them. 
Right. They just know they're not going to get a point. So for 15 years, Coolidge has said, well, how do you break that down? How do you, how do you work around that? And uh, a lot of it's based on skill, of course, personnel and technical ability. And I, I, I was frustrated where in, in Ronald Koeman's post game and his press conference, he, he said that, you know, Barca don't have the technical, the individuals to break down a team like that playing through the middle. He, and he's kind of scoffed at the idea of, of Tiki Taka, um, which yeah. I think is being overused, overdone. And that term should have been buried seven, eight years ago. Even Pep Guardiola has distanced himself or tried to distance himself from that. I mean, because we're really just talking about Tiki Taka as this. It's what the definition has become is it's an ideal of moving the ball very quickly with yeah. very technical players through the middle of a defense and then, you know, winding up finishing it off with some kind of goal that mm-hmm. uh, it is, is easy, if you will, a FIFA, a FIFA S goal, one that you kind of yeah, just like to walk it into in. the net type of thing. Yeah. And yeah. Cause just, you've unzipped the defense. And so yeah. that's what, that's the ideal version of what we're defining Tiki Taka as, as opposed to some kind of system, because people think, yeah. well, if Barca are passing the ball well, then they're Tiki Taka. And I, and I think that for, especially for a younger generation, we've kind of lost the whole point. Of, of what that system that Guardiola was playing meant. And that system was also predicated on the players that he had, which, you know, when you have a, a dribbling or a, a player that has to release the ball after taking a few dribbles, like a Frankie de Young, who isn't necessarily moving the ball as one touch as you would like, you're not going to play quote unquote tiki taka in this ideal sense, but that yeah, doesn't because you mean do have to that, play to your talent too. I mean, this kind right. of, you know, dreaming of this ideal that, that existed with a generation that's no longer there. And you do have to play to your talent a little bit. I know there's, there's a Barca way that everyone was trying to get back to. And I mean, the, the objective of, you know, the way I always thought of Tiki Taka was small triangles, quick, you know, one touch passing, shifting triangles, and essentially you flummox the defense that way. And you tire them out. They just get tired of chasing the small passes over. And eventually they have to get it right every time. And when they get it wrong, they leave you an opening. So I understand like where that is a, a good system to have, but you still, you know, you need the players to, to play it. And when you have Xavi, Busquets, Iniesta, and Messi at their respective primes, you have the, you have the arsenal of players to, to do that. And well, you know, not a, about this concept of Tiki Taka though, and the quote unquote Barca way mm-hmm. is, is not only ball retention, but ball retrieval. Where yeah. Sergio Busquets, if you were to argue a player who played the Barca way yesterday, he had eight ball retrievals by the yeah. 70th minute. And he was putting himself in position to win the ball back against that low mm. block that Granada was playing. And this is my other indictment that, again, it's not just offensively this concept of the Barca yeah. way. It's where you win the ball. And Barcelona, if they're playing, quote unquote, the Barca way, they are forcing the line of confrontation. And my frustration mm-hmm. came then in the second half when Granada pushed their pressure forward a little bit and changed yeah. the line of confrontation on a very young back line, which even when McGaitha came in for uh, Alejandro Balde, who we'll talk about later, mm-hmm. the back line was still 20, 20, 22, and 22. It was still a very youthful back line who, you know, you were going to be able to push, try to put on the back foot, not because that they were scared mm-hmm. of playing the ball, because only Araujo is uh, of that core of, the, of those four. Araujo is the only one that you're a little nervous at the ball at his feet but he was playing so well yesterday that that wasn't a problem. He wasn't putting himself in any of those dangerous situations. And he was willing to go back to Ter Stegen, who was an elite ball playing goalkeeper. So that should not be an issue about playing through that kind of pressure. And to to go back to the the ball retrieval point here is Busquets was doing his job. Yes. But my frustration with the tactics did not even come on the wings and with Dest and Balde trying to cross in or with Coutinho and Demir when they were cutting in. It was that there was no pressure up the middle. 
You can't mm-hmm. tell me technically that Roberto, De Young, Coutinho, and even looping an 18-year-old in Demir and Memphis, that that core of five right up the gut for Granada cannot play through them. The only excuse I could possibly take is that Coutinho started a match for the first time in nine months and had never worked with Memphis before. And Demir was starting his very first match ever for Barcelona, official match ever for Barcelona. And he's 18 years old. And the fact that Sergio Roberto has only now played his, what, seventh game back in the midfield Mm -hmm. since he, you know, for for this or for the last, like, you know, six months or seven months or whatever, which for Roberto, I'm, I'm completely out of excuses. That said, with Granada playing that low block they did, Another point of frustration I had up the middle is that Sergio Roberto and, and Frankie de Young, Frankie de Young, we kind of expect to be making these, these runs into the box, mm-hmm. but because Barcelona were worried about getting caught on the counterattack with the wings pushed so high, they were worried yeah. about that space and behind. So Frankie de Young's positioning was, was never really making those runs into the box. It was more shading towards death side to try to add, to try to help on those double teams before Darla Machis got out off to the races. That never happened. Darwin kept getting, yep. getting off to the races and in behind and in behind friend, Sergino Dest. Now, Sergio Roberto was standing almost on the other side of the that corner of the top of the 18 box. And yep. whenever Granada cleared the ball, it would bypass him completely. So he was not in positions in the box very often to be an extra body to get a shot mm-hmm. off. There was one instance where he was at the uh, the penalty spot where there was a cutback from Balde where he almost got to that one. And I'm not sure if he was just standing there or if that was a purposeful run. And then the yeah. other one from Roberto would w- was there was another ball where he winds up making the space for Memphis and Memphis gets that opportunity because he took mm-hmm. the near post run. That was two occasions I saw. The rest of it was him basically waiting to reset the ball and assume that there would be a low clearance that he could immediately retrieve the ball back at the top, at the at the 18. It just didn't happen. And they kept bypassing him over and over and over again. Yep. So Sergio Roberto was, you know, tactically, I don't even blame him for that. You, I mean, there has to be some kind of instruction from the sideline to change that up. And then when Coutinho and Demir would cut in because they both are inverted wingers, it was it wound up being congested instead of those triangles. The spacing was completely archaic. And the fact that, and I, I, and I do put this on the manager, but the fact that they settled into this idea that one of these crosses will eventually work like it did. It's it's mind boggling to me that they could not, that 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 seemed to just be the strategy. And you could tell the final commitment to that was PK, Luke de Young and Araujo ending the game as, as all center forward. It's not a problem that he tried to change things up. The problem is that it is a confirmation that that was the only idea. Against Granada at home, there was one plan. There was a plan A. And Granada was yeah. like, that's their plan A. And that is exactly what they did. Yeah, so Granada was able to identify what, what Barca was trying to do. And to the extent that you know, we want to give credit to, to Granada is they, they identified what Barca were doing and they did a pretty decent job of shutting, you know, trying to shut that down. Because... And I would imagine on the pitch and on the sideline, on the Granada sideline, you do notice at some point that these guys aren't trying something new. They're not really, they're not hurting us in, in any other way. You mentioned where Kuman talked about the, I don't know, what was it? Like the, the lack of tactical or lack of technical acumen on the, on the roster that he has or something like that. Yeah. Maybe that's true. Fine. Like that. I mean, that probably is true, you know, relative to Barca teams past, but the the fact is you still have hilariously more talent than your opponent and you have more diverse talent than your opponent and you didn't devise any kind of creative means of trying to attack them other than trying to brute force them 
or just put in put in crosses that weren't I mean, you just said it, like they weren't finding their target. One did, thankfully, and so a point was salvaged. But there wasn't a good game plan in there. There was a good play was made to salvage a disappointing result. So I, I completely agree in that. I, I didn't get the sense that there was, I didn't get the sense that Barca were going to pivot to anything different. They They were doing what they were doing. And, you know, we've kind of talked about, you touched on Coutinho and, you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll end up talking about him at some point. I suppose at the same time, too, I didn't know who I thought was going to make something happen. Just in, in the sense of watching the game, even when you're even when your team is having a frustrating outing, you sometimes have a sense unless they're playing, unless it's an absolute disaster. You have a sense that one or two of these guys, we just we get them in the right spot. They're looking good. They can do something. I got a little bit of that with Memphis for most of the game, but th- I didn't really get a sense that there was any Barca players that should be striking fear into Granada's heart as you know as they were on the attack. They just kept doing their job and just battening down the hatches, and that, that's the thing. They 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 played that game enough. They they lost the one time, so it cost them two points. But that was really the thing. Barca salvaged a point. Like we're not we're not sitting here talking about how it's awful they conceded in the second minute that really sucks but man they really regrouped well and it, it's not a tough luck draw for Barca like they they salvaged it and and you have to I understand that's seasons and campaigns are made of made of games like this but there just wasn't a lot like you're saying there wasn't a lot to kind of tactically sink your teeth into and kind of put your faith in going forward. And there, therein lies, Emil, my biggest fear going forward is that if I'm Kadith, I'm looking at what Granada did. And Kadith has actually basically done that for the last two years, but better than what Granada's done so well, far. Well, they're a better, yeah, they're kind of a better Granada. And Kadith is also doing it at home on, uh, mm. on Thursday. So if I'm Kadith, I'm saying we know the game plan and we can easily execute this against Barcelona at home. Andres Cordero, who does Serie A play-by-play, had a really great uh, great tweet about this. He says, Barca's situation feels hopeless in that elite teams will take the ball from them and dominate, while modest teams will happily give them the ball without fear of consequence. And yeah. that, that, that perfectly encapsulates why I'm scared moving forward. Because again, against Bayern, I could say, hey, that's a one-off against Bayern Munich. Against Athletic Club, there was a fight, there was a desire, and I thought that they matched Athletic Club mm-hmm. practically well to start the year with that draw. And and then even against Adafe, that mm-hmm. yeah, against Adafe, that yeah, it wasn't great, but enough was done. There were some bright spots to look at. And I'm trying to look at, you know, you know how and and, and fans of this podcast, I see everybody trashing, of course, Eugenio Des and Eric Garcia yesterday. You know, I, I'm gonna defend those two being Des and Garcia till my my, yeah. my last breath, until the moment that I, I I have to get off the island. I know I'm gonna defend them longer than everyone else. For Eugenio Des against Alejandro Baldi yesterday, Baldi had four giveaways, four giveaways in his 43 minutes on the field before he came out with that unfortunate back injury. Sergino Des had 30. Now, part of this is on the fact that Sergino Des gives the ball away way, way, way too much on dribbles and individual 1v1 battles. A lot of that's also on the number, the sheer number of crosses where Granada said they're going to try to keep flipping this in from the right side, from the left side. It doesn't matter from Sergino Des. And we're just going to keep heading it out because Des's cross aren't good enough. And so in that game yesterday is the full encapsulation of how I feel about Des and Garcia and what needs to change before the next manager comes in and they're no longer in the starting lineup. Because mm-hmm. if you're Garcia and Des, I can easily say over and over and over again, they're 20 years old. There are tangible things for them to improve upon. Eric Garcia needs to improve upon his 1v1 defending. 
He's not played mm-hmm. enough. Yeah, I mean, for Man City or whatever, but he's not played enough first team football to actually improve his 1v1 defending against actual, like, you know, full adult, full grown men. Yeah, because real, yeah, professional, yeah, top top tier professionals. Yeah. Even in three seasons, he has less than 50 total appearances at a first team level, which, you know, still for 20 years old is pretty good. But in the same regard with the body type he has, he's going to have to learn the little tricks to get himself where he yeah. needs to be with a lack of athleticism. And next to Araujo, his ball playing ability provides you enough because he really was. The, I'd say other than Busquets, and and you, you could argue this too, that Garcia had more line breaking passes and was more important mm-hmm. to Barcelona of trying to break through the middle than anybody else on that field. So, so I understand why Garcia is on the field and the job that he does in a positive way. But his 1v1 defending has to, has to, has to improve because he yeah. was getting beat by Jorge Molina. It's one thing to get to get roasted by Robert Lewandowski, but if you are right. <laughs> by 39-year-old Jorge Molina, that is something that you have to yeah. have to fix or else he will find himself on the bench. And I will totally understand why the next manager would put him there. For Sergino Dest, yeah. his crossing has to get better. He's 20 years old. That is a skill that you work on in practice. His, his crossing has to get a lot better. That's one. And two, his ball retention has, has got to get better. Yeah. He completely understands the intangibles. I think his 1v1 defending is good. I think this idea that he can't defend is wrong. I think his positioning, he's too far up the field and he doesn't know his teammates well enough. So when you had yeah. the first goal happens because Des gets caught up field and Eric Garcia doesn't have the, the foot speed to cover for him in behind. And that is a tactical approach to know your personnel that Des is out of going to be out of position. That's fine. Yeah. Danny Alves is out of position a whole heck of a lot. I but was also, actually, yeah. I was just about to say that, you know, you can do the Danny Alves thing. And I know it's, you kind of mentioned how everyone on the back line was what at most 22 years old. And when, when you're Danny Alves, or even if you're Serginio Dest, but you are playing with a, a veteran experienced top quality back line, you can afford to kind of swashbuckle a little bit more because you know that these are guys who've seen everything and they know how to cover for, they know how to cover for this. They know how to, sort of hedge to to give you an opportunity to get back into position. But when everybody's so young and inexperienced and also just trying to learn how to play together as well. I mean, these guys haven't spent really very much time kind of learning each other's tics and developing a hive mind back there. You're going to get burned. And yeah, because Serginio is, he's out of position a lot. Like he's bombing forward a lot. So the, the point on the process, I think is a very, salient one and i mean the thing is i have nothing to add to that he needs to get better at that put in the hours and just keep doing that like those have to be if this is how you're going to play that has to be better otherwise there's not a purpose for you bombing on this much if you're going to either lose the ball or not cross it well yeah Um, i agree too because his skill set he is so good and one of the reasons Barca went out and got him is because he's so good with the ball at his feet. He's so good yeah. in combinations. And so I, I do take a little bit of it, not an excuse for him, but he's working with an 18-year-old Dest right in front of him. Yeah. As I mean, a Demir rather, not Dest, but yeah, yeah, 18-year-old Demir right in front of him, who he has never played with too. So there is a, a, an instance where I do push back on the fact that, you know, that back line of Araujo and, and Eric Garcia, who had never played together, 
And then you also have Araujo having to, you know, we know that Garcia is the vocal leader, but Araujo physically has to be the leader covering for an 18 year old next to him in Balde, who's probably a little nervous and also dealing with the back injuries that we found out when he came off in that game. So there is, there is youth on that back line. And if I was the manager, I would have started that same back line. This is the moment that, that home match against Granada, especially with all the injuries is when you start Balde, Araujo, Garcia, and Des. That's the moment you do that. And honestly, they yes, they let in the the, the first goal in the first minute and a half, and then Granada decided to defend. But I Mm. think there was a belief that there was some confidence being built in that back four, which is a back four that the place that the club is now, unless somebody else was really brought in, you could argue that five years from now, that can develop into your ideal, quote-unquote, ideal FC Barcelona Back four. Now, Dest has to improve a lot. Balde obviously has to improve a lot, and he's 18. Eric yeah. Garcia has to get much, much better 1v1 defending, because mm. if not, then, as I kind of said in the match review I did on YouTube yesterday, Ron Araujo is the only one that I would lock in and pencil in as being a you know Champions League starting winning center back in five years from now, or along that back li- line, I mean. Yeah, unless the other three really, really improve. But they're the yeah, I don't know about five years... Yeah, five years from now, I know that's yeah because but right now, Araujo is the the one that I trust, and it always comes down to, and you can say this about any sport, whether it's you know American football, basketball, whatever. Like there's there's guys who are put into whatever the the middle of the conflict of the game, whether it's having the ball or having to defend or something like that. And this is a little bit of it's very kind of subjective and kind of feeling feelings based analysis, but. There's there's a gut feel when you trust the guy that has the ball. You know that he's not going to give it away. And at the very least, he's he's thinking through the situation. And he also has the sort of the physical and tech, technical acumen to to handle whatever comes. Arojo is the, the guy that I trust in yesterday's back line the most. Dest, I think, has of, of the other of the other guys, Dest's ceiling and full complement of skill set is my favorite and I want it to be realized because if it is realized he is sacrilege to ever say you know you would never say Danny Alves anything like that but he's he's a guy who can at least sort of mimic that role he can he can study that role and do his his version of it his interpretation of it so yeah I mean I think there's there's a lot of room for there is talent but there are just glaring flaws. And the problem is too, in many cases, the, the guys, the inexperience combined with everyone's respective, you know, fatal flaws in their games right now sort of conspire to put the, put the side in really tough spots. When it goes wrong, it just really goes wrong because it's almost the, the perfect set of shortcomings to create a problem. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and that's where on the reverse side of this, we do try to be a little bit positive about some of the youth mm-hmm. because the final two, we'll say, points on the match would be Alejandro Balde. They said with those four giveaways, working mm-hmm. with Coutinho for the first time in his career, getting a start at the camp. No, yes, he had to come off with the injury with the back. But even when he went to have that discussion with the medical staff about his back, about coming off in, mm-hmm. in the 42nd minute before the camp knew, you know, they, they booed Kuman for it. But before they knew he came off injured it seemed like there was also an instruction that he had to get in field a little bit more. He had to invert mm-hmm. himself. I think he was a little nervous to do that just because he wanted to kind of stick with what he knows that he does. Well, he also was, yep. I thought pretty good with his defending one V one as well, which is something that mm-hmm. is, is his big worrying point when you watch him at the lower levels, 
That said, Alejandro Balde, I think, could be very happy with the debut he had. I was happy with it. And if he could just kind of carve out and figure out, hey, I can contribute to this team in year one, I'm not expecting him to reinvent the wheel at the left back position and take over Jordi Alba this year. I mean, he's 18. Mm -hmm. He's still registered with the Juvenil Oz. He could be playing in the U19 UEFA League. So I'm going to be really patient with him. And I think and I think we should be. But I thought that he was he did not look out of place. And that's all I'm looking for with an 18 year old player. Same thing with Demir. Once again, Demir looked not out of place, and I'm fine with that. Gabi, not only did he look out of place, but he impacted the match, not only with the assist, but Gabi should start against Cadiz. On the road, I don't care. Two chances created in 30 minutes, 18 successful passes. Yeah, that's not much, but he was also on for only 30 minutes. Three ball recoveries, one tackle, and then the assist, which was a one-touch cross into Araujo after the feed from PK, just and lofting it over the two defenders, getting to the back post. Where perfect cross. Ball. Yeah, he just he yeah, perfect. put it exactly where you needed to put it. And I mean, I think with him, I feel like it's, it's time. He needs to be part of the, I don't mean starting every match, but he needs to be part of the rotation. He needs to be playing real minutes and starting because he is going to have a spot in FC Barcelona's first team I'm increasingly feeling like sooner rather than later. Yeah. And so he's, he's not overawed by the moment. He's, he's not technically incapable. I mean, uh, we were talking about Balde. I think the, the biggest thing with Balde is it's experience. And you said kind of the, the comfort and confidence, because I think when he gains confidence and that will be born of experience and playing with senior pros and playing against senior pros, I think the, the physical stuff and the, the technical stuff, I don't worry so much because he's also, he's only 18 years old. He's, he's going to physically mature a little bit more, but I think with, as he gains confidence and he learns more through experience, I think with him, I don't really worry very much at all. I mean, I, I really hope this injury isn't, isn't serious because I hope he's able to come in and log meaningful minutes this season yeah before Alba because comes he seems back. like once Alba comes back it's over because every manager yeah. either a new manager or Ronald Koeman is going to be managing for his job here on out exactly so it's always yeah. Alba it's always going to be Busquets it's always going to be De Young and Pedri and that is the one worry now because the manager's job is so up for grabs but yeah that's what we're going to end the show with but yeah yeah continue point yeah but I mean that, that was kind of the thing was I mean with him I don't yeah, it's not even really a concern as much as it is. I look forward to him getting minutes. And I mean, I guess to the extent that I have a concern is that, like you said, I hope he has the opportunity to log those minutes and and just and gain that experience because it is it's the confidence gained from doing good things. It's, you know, even the confidence gained from making mistakes and learning how to deal with them and being in that heat of battle. Yeah. And I mean, but I think with with Gabi, I think it's exactly like you said, the the midfield, particularly with Kuman, as long as he's now, I mean, really under fire, he's going to play whatever he deems to be his his best eleven or his best midfield, his best unit, as often as he can. Because, I mean, it's it's really it's tenuous for him. It's uh, yeah, it's not looking great. Yeah, I mean, there's abstract ideas that people throw out of like picking a lineup, like oh, Roberto should never play again, or yada 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 yada. If Barcelona are playing Real Madrid tomorrow, I totally understand starting Sergio Roberto, Frankie Young, and Sergio uh, Sergio Busquets. I, I totally yeah. understand against uh, against Real Madrid why you would even set up with that way. I mean, because Sergio Roberto is not a net zero in midfield. He has a skill set. He does certain things, and the things that he does is he moves the ball laterally. 
He helps create a bit of space in the midfield, especially if the other team is trying to play out with them. And his mm-hmm. ball recoveries in open space are better than that of an, uh, a 17-year-old in Gabi. That yep. said, against Kadith, Gabi's skill set at this level, even at 17, is more complementary of breaking down Kadith than what Roberto's skill set is. So yeah. to, to me, that's why, I've, that's why I've never been able to understand it. And the same thing even with the Ricky Poos thing. There's, there are time and a place for Ricky Poos. And it always seems to be in mm-hmm. the last year and a half, under Kuman at least, that when the team is down, then you need to add this wild card and throw everything at the, at the, at, you know, everything on, on the, the painting, on the easel. You throw everything, yeah. all the paint you have, and that means that Ricky Poos is going to get dusted off for those kind of opportunities. But, yeah. you know, clearly, I agree. Tactically, defensively, rest defense, he's way behind Gabi, and he's 22 years old. And so there, there are things and worrisome signs that it's understandable why he's not starting matches, especially when Ronald Koeman is managing for his job. But in the same instance, there are teams like, again, a Kadith, where Ricky Pooj is not going to be the reason you lose a match to Kadith. You should be beating Kadith, even at home. Kadith, Barcelona should be beating Kadith 2-0 or, or yeah. 3-1. And even if you allow Kadith to get a, a goal at home because Ricky Pooj got beat up through the middle, the number of chances that he's going to create because of how bright and important he is on the ball moving forward and the amount of space that he creates mm-hmm. with his passing to unlock Kadith is worth the risk. And that's yeah, that should be a net positive. About. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a Ricky Poos need to start or Kuman's hating on Ricky Poos. It's that there's a time and a place for these players, even with the limited players he has. And the, the, the 11 that was selected against Granada, again, I mean, I would have picked the same four at the back. That was a young back line, mm-hmm. but at home against Granada is when you start those four. And I understand the midfield, but that was a change that had to be made. And I know it it stinks if you're a captain of Sergio Berto to come off in the 40th minute for Gabi, but... I mean, Kuman is now, and he knows that he is managing for his job. And this is how we're going to end the show here. It is, I, I think, against, I felt like against Bayern Munich, we were at what, like a code. I don't remember the codes, and, and they're silly, and it's about American terrorism. But anyway, so I, I think we were at like a code yellow, if, if you will. And now, I mean, now it's code, what, vermilion? I know it's a, it's like it's a, a not black. Color, I don't know. Just like, yeah. Just, orange. It's, it's, it's not code even. I think it's not code red. Because I mean, red was the code. bad one. <laughs> so Yes, but it's not a code red because there's no immediate replacement to immediately take over. It's not no. like, unlike if it was Victor Font who was president, you don't know that Xavi is going to walk in through that door the very next day and take on yeah. the project. So it's, it's as code orange. I think it's as code red as far as his job security, but it's as code orange as when he's going to get relieved yeah. of his duties just due to the fact that Laporta's choice is Jordi Cruyff. He has said no. And then all the other names we've had thrown out there, Robert Martinez, and these changed by the hour, but Robert Martinez yeah. for the Belgian national team, Eric Ton Hag is not coming from Ajax. Andrea Pirlo, of course, flamed out when he was a club legend at Juventus as the manager coming back, and that already didn't work out. Antonio Conte yeah. is a free agent, and if Kules don't want to see Ronald Koeman at the, the helm, I can tell you that Antonio Conte's tactics are not going to make anybody happy. Uh, no, then he's he, not going to lead leads. Xavi is... And that's the really one we're, we're questioning and talking about. And then um, yeah. Philip Koku, he's another like, quote unquote club legend, but he's not. He's, you know, one of the top 50 players, he's, but he's uh, of the club or you yeah, know, yeah, to an extent yeah. of the club, a former Dutch, not even former, but he's a Dutch manager who was last with Derby County in the championship. And that didn't really work out so well. And then Garcia Pimenta, because he was let go, can't even be an interim. And he's not the choice. He's now working for Cadena Serra. That's why we keep saying all these stuff, all the stuff from Gar- uh, Garcia Pimenta and all these comments. So I gave you that whole list. But it seems like there's a lot of, well, this is why this guy won't work. This is why this guy won't work. This is why this guy won't work. And it seems like the reports that are believed that the next guy is going to be for the long haul. 
how's that going to happen if Kuman isn't let go in not even January, but at the end of the season? Well, my my presumption is that he's going to get the season for the simple fact of what you said. There's not an in-house replacement that you know, like you said, whether it's Pimienta or someone on Kuman's staff that you know is rumored to be you know, really working well with the players and, you know, might be a, might be a bright up and comer or something like that. So there's not an in-house replacement ready to go. And then, like you said, so Ten Hag and Roberto Martinez are probably happier. I mean, almost certainly happier in their jobs than they would be stepping into this Barcelona at this moment. And particularly Roberto Martinez, you know, for all of his shortcomings as a manager, he's got a legitimate shot at winning a world cup next summer. I don't imagine he is going to walk away from, or, you know, next, whatever it is, next Christmas or whenever we're doing that. But, um, but I don't imagine he's going to walk away from the Belgian national team. Eric Ten Hag's not coming. I don't know why. I mean, the, the Andrea Pirlo thing, you know, just, he wasn't even good. He, he wasn't good at the club that loved him. So that would just, I feel like that would just be an absolute just train wreck here. Look, Antonio Conte, I think, the the world, the kind of Kules and the club and everybody, if everyone's just kind of making a practical business decision and he essentially comes in as a as a long term interim sort of thing where finish I can, up this season. I, yeah, I don't know if I can us, handle it. Just, I don't think I can handle it. Oh, I look, it would not be fun, but at the very least, I think the results would pick up. So I think it would be, Maybe. but I think it would be right, but I think it would be a practical decision in the sense of okay, this guy is absolutely going to. Like it's going to grind. It's 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 really going to grind us into dust here. But but he's gonna he's gonna get results, and we're going to at least you know sort of secure the secure the league position that at least something I you know acceptable to to potentially good. And in big games, he might be able to kind of tactic us through a, an extra round of the Champions League that we might otherwise not have gotten through type of thing. So. Because it does feel like everything's just holding the. I feel like this whole thing is just keep the seat warm until until the World Cup in Qatar is over and Xavi comes. Like I, I feel like that's the inevitable culmination of all of this. But are we to be believed that Laporta isn't really totally sold on Xavi? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much of it is that, and I don't know how much of it is potentially like the political stuff because Xavi was Victor Font's guy, mm-hmm. and Laporta didn't have the same. He didn't, he essentially, he didn't campaign on, I'm going to make Javi the manager and, you know, kind of restore all the the happy vibes and everything. So I don't, I don't know where Laporta stands, you know, in his heart of hearts on Javi as a manager, but I think the, by and large, the, I don't know if it's a consensus, but the, the prevailing opinion seems to be that Javi is in line to do this. He, you know, he's paying his dues and, you know, doing his managerial work. You know, it wasn't like a, a Frank Lampard or uh, Andrea Pirlo situation where with minimal experience, they immediately were installed at, you know, one of the biggest jobs in their, you know, in their home nation. So, I, well, because the question also comes down to, if not Xavi, then then who? Yeah. Well, so let me just ask you, I mean, we're going to, I'm going to continue talking about this later on the week and yeah. the story is not going to go away. It's September. And so until... Ronald Koeman loses his job and he's replaced. This is going to be a talking point because I think we have reached that point of no return. You know, I, I understand why I would want a club legend like Ronald Koeman to, to get what he deserves in that, like, I would want him to be treated fairly on mm-hmm. his way out. I, I would, I would hope that 
the situation with Kike Setien. Because even though Kike Setien was completely underqualified for the job, the way in which that all ended was totally unfair to him personally. Yeah. And, you know, you can almost argue the same thing for Ernesto Valverde, where Messi and the team... Oh, I do, I do argue the same thing about Ernesto Valverde. Yeah. He, was, he should have been let go, I mean, the prior summer. And so for Ron, I mean, there is a moment... Or when they let him go, he should have gotten the rest of that season. To, right. To do or or that's did. what I'm saying. He either should have yeah. finished the season or had been let go the prior right. yeah. or the summer even before that, after the Roma, which would have been a Wh- whenever. Time. Yeah. But for Kuman, yeah, he, he needs to be relieved of his duties. And he knows it too. The way he speaks about the job, he understands that he's not in it for the long haul. He's not going to yeah. be managing this team to a Champions League victory. I've been saying it for a while now, but it is just September. And if he finishes out this season, boy, I mean, something has to happen. He's going to have to really change something around or. I don't know what needs to happen. The only thing I can think of is Ansu Fati is apparently supposed to return against Levante. And if Ansu Fati comes back against Levante and somehow results change and results pick up when you have one of the top 10 best players under the age of 20 or 21 mm-hmm. in your squad returning. And, you know, this, this bright star who's been out for a year returns and galvanizes the team a bit, then it could basically keep him in his stead until January or June. And that means if the club finishes or looks like they're going to finish between second and fourth in the Liga table. And yeah. that is where expectations, I think, are pivoting to a little bit because, you know, I know Kool-Aid would love Eric Ten Hag, but again, that's not going to happen. And no one else on that list, even a Robert Martinez. I know, yeah, with Belgium, he's had this talent, but he never showed me every, anything at Everton. And other than being born no, in, I mean, he was uh, even. I, I, I don't know what makes him a favorite for this job other than being born in Catalonia. No, and, and that's kind of the thing. He's he's gotten phenomenal jobs. And I I don't I mean, I know he was what was it? It was Wigan, right? Where he was like they were yeah. great. I think they won the FA Cup and, and then yeah. he did well with Swansea City comparably as well, too. They kind of right parlay into the Everton job, but yeah. But then from there, when he's gotten anything even resembling sort of bigger club and more resources and stuff like that, it's never felt like he's gotten Never mind more than what you would expect out of the the resources at hand. I mean, I don't even know if he's fully maximized the you know the the talent and the resources that he's had at hand. Whether whether it was at Everton or you know, I mean, you can even argue with the Belgian national team. Just the you know what he's got, and I know he was a huge upgrade over because I guess they hated uh, Mark Vilmots, who was there before. But yeah, I don't know how he sort of gets a front row seat in all of these conversations. It. Yeah, and I know he's, he was born in Catalonia, but yeah, I mean, Ten Hag would be the sort of the ideal scenario, but I mean, he's not coming. Like, nope. It's just, I, I don't know why he would, I don't know why he would do that. Yeah. Um, the other thing you yeah, have to look I mean, at too, the, the other two big factors here, uh, Mio, as we wrap the mm-hmm. show up is one, the, the price, because of the financial situation the club is in, the cost of getting rid of Kuman at this juncture apparently is anywhere between 12 and 14 million euros. Right. But apparently in the court of law, the club still might owe Setien between 14 to 18 million euros based on the uh, the way that his, his contract was whipped up and thrown out, thrown out the door and he still owed money. So it could be a, the club, you know, put itself more in a financial hole by paying a new manager and having to pay to get rid of Kuman. And then, but part two of that is if he has lost the locker room and that was my fear yesterday that, yeah, there've been people saying Kuman out since, you know, last January or last you like know, day. Yeah. Practically day one. Yeah. You're yeah. always going to have, you're always going to have a subset as, as they always wind up tending to be younger as well. So there's always a yeah. subset of the fan base who just, if you don't win every match by eight 
it's it's coming out. You're you're done with him. Yeah. But it, it it I got the sense yesterday in that game that we knew that Laporta wasn't always a you know favoring, and he's not the biggest fan of Kuman. But if he's lost the players in that locker room, and not just the 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 Los Amigos, not just uh, the captains in Alba and Busquets right. and, and Roberto and the old you know the sacred cows, the old the guard, yeah. If he has lost everyone in that locker room, if he has lost the locker room completely, then you can't move forward with him no matter what, because the no. the only people that really need to be receptive to him are the people who you know basically signed his checks and those who are listening to him to try to get results. And if he's right. lost them, regardless of what the fans think, if he's lost them, then we've lost the point. And, and now we're off the mark, and he's got to be replaced in some way. But yeah, unfortunately, Garcia Pimienta can't be an interim until the quote-unquote right guy comes. But September, the, the third week of September, is just a, an awful time to try to replace your manager because everybody else has now gotten cushier jobs or uh, that, that coaching merry-go-round has stopped for the beginning of the season. Right, because most people who got new jobs for this season, by and large, unless it has absolutely burst into flames right away, someone who started a job prior to this season, a few of them are on the chopping block, you know? And so any of the candidates that you might have been looking at last year who who found a seat, they're not on the market right now. And then so you go to, what do we have in-house? Who's available on the market? Because also you don't have the... I mean, it's like you said, it's astounding that there's always some sort of new financial calamity around the corner, like the, the Setien thing. It's like every rock you look under, it's like there's a new like 20 million euro liability. But um, yeah, so I mean, I think there's no, there's no one in-house that you can just simply promote. And who's currently looking for a job that you'd want to bring in? I mean, objectively, Conte is the best coach. That would end in tears. And I don't even know. I mean, where do you where do you look? So I mean, I think I I think that works in you kind of alluded to it in that the situation is super dire, but the lack of alternatives, I think artificially gives Kuman a little bit of uh job security. Yeah. And I, mean, I think the, he's making are I have all these injured players. Yes. And even against Granada. I would have loved to use wingers in Dembele and Ansu Fati, but they weren't available to unlock that defense. That was the excuse yes. he made. I broke down in the middle. Why I don't, I, I don't like, I hate that excuse, but that was sure. the excuse he made. He's saying, wait until I get my players back. Because look, I do in a, Griezmann. Look, in a, that's literally true. And I do understand that to have a, it would be nice for everybody to be a full strength. It'd be nice to have the full strength squad and actually see if there is some sort of grand vision that the Kuman has that, would, would be unlocked if, if the full complement was there. Look, the, the one thing is you sort of alluded to it. Uh, Ansu needs to come back to, to save Kuman's job. And I mean, like truly save it and not simply we, we don't have anyone better. Ansu Fati needs to come back and I mean, almost just be a revelation. You know, it's, I think it's a quartet of Fati, Memphis, De Young, and Pedri that will save Kuman's job. If, it and is, you're, you're if it's to be saved. You're talking star striker yeah. Luke De Young, of course. Oh, clearly, yeah. <laughs> Brathway 2.0, yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> you know, and to be fair, I actually like. I, don't, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't. Come on, you don't, you don't have to. You don't have to. We're, we're talking back. We, we, I think we've gone too far. I know. Yeah, I was about to. I was about to go. I was about to go afield. But yeah, I mean the. But those guys are going to save his job if it's if it's there to be saved, and if he hasn't lost the if he hasn't lost the dressing room, like you said, if Ansu Fati comes back and he's. 
at full at full strength, that quartet can they can paper over some cracks. Like they are that good individually and potentially collectively. So that's what it's going to have to be. Well, uh, but that's that's the point, right? You you don't deserve your job if you cannot take a, that kind of talent and finish top four in the Liga and get a championship. Right. That's the problem, right? So, all right. So that wraps up another edition of the yep. show. Yeah, I mean, people who come here for your positivity, I don't know. Is this a different flavor today? I was a little cranky. <laughs> Not even, I wasn't personally cranky. I'm actually working, trying to bring up, and this will be a long, ongoing saga. I'm fighting a... Uh, a tree trunk in my backyard and it's a lot bigger <laughs> than I thought. And it, it, it very much as I'm st- out there for hours working on the street trunk, it is looking a lot like the situation at FC Barcelona, the deeper I <laughs> dig, the, the more it just, it's stuck into the ground and the more problems more I have. To dig up. <laughs> it's too heavy and I'm sweaty and it's just a mess. And so it winds up being a perfect <laughs> analogy for what the club's going through. But yeah, this is a weird one. This is a, you know, a cranky one, but you know, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona pod for some positive stuff or for when this turns around, you can also join our closed Facebook group and uh, share the tears and share the hugs. That's the Barcelona podcast. Answer the questions like in and on Patreon. That is how we continue to financially support these shows. Really, really appreciate that. And then we're also on YouTube with those, with those match reviews and some other fun stuff over there at the Barcelona podcast. Thank you so much, by the way, on YouTube, 7,000 subscribers. So thanks for all 7,000 oh, nice. people <laughs> on the March to 10,000. Um, maybe I might do something special for 10,000. So yeah, incentivize your friends. I don't know. I'm not allowed to do it, but I don't know. Share it like <laughs> or something. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll get 10,000 and then we'll see where we go from there. So most importantly, though, thanks to all you for listening to the Barcelona podcast here in the podcast format. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza Barca. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.